It was 1964, really the height of the civil rights movement, and this woman named Fannie Lou Hamer, she made a speech to the Democratic National Convention. She had been fighting civil rights for, for years, and as a result of her efforts, it began to take this toll on her mentally and, and physically, and even, even spiritually, she noticed some changes in her life. And, and as she was giving this speech, I'm not even sure that she meant to say the words that she said, but, but she did. And the words ring true, I think, in our lives today. Fannie Lou spoke these words. She said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Have you felt this way? Sick and tired of being sick and tired? Maybe you're not fighting the same fight that Fannie Lou is fighting, but But I imagine the sentiment still rings true. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I know it does for a couple reasons. One, because you tell me that's true. But two, because I've personally felt the same thing. It's true. And we can feel that in in an outward way. I mean, for instance, maybe you've gone on vacation recently and it was supposed to refresh you. And then you came home feeling more restless than you did before you left. In fact... I'll admit, this last Monday, after Trisha and I came back from a couple of days away to visit family and friends and just get away, I said to her Monday morning, oh, I just need two more days, two more. I wasn't quite ready yet. Two more days. I I wasn't feeling rested. Or maybe it was just you thought, well, I'll just get a good night's sleep. I'll go to bed a little bit earlier. But you wake up the next morning, you're still restless, you're still feeling sleepy, and you're nursing a pot of coffee that's lasting you all day long to get you through. The the bottom line here is that most of us, if not all of us, are feeling mentally and physically sluggish throughout our days. We walk around feeling exhausted, and some people, I think, even feel like this is some kind of sign of a positive health, but it's the exact opposite. And what if, I, what if I actually told you this, that yes, our mental and our physical health, it, that's a problem, but, but what if I told you it pales in comparison to that, that inside of us health, that inward health, that heart health, that soul health, and we're feeling exhausted there. In fact, Jesus warns us of this. He spoke these words that are still true to this day even more so. And he said in Matthew chapter 16, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What Jesus is saying in this verse is is counterintuitive to the way that, that our culture lives. In fact, most of what Jesus teaches us is counterintuitive than the way our culture lives. Because we know in our culture we're what? Go fast. Get more. Gain more. Do more. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. Just be happy. That's our culture. And on the outside, that feels and sounds pretty good. Like There's, there's promise there, right? But I wonder if we've ever truly stopped to think about the implications of that. The implications, as Jesus said, of of gaining the whole world but, but losing our souls. 
because many of us, and I, and I put myself, when I say many of us, I put myself into these categories. Many of us have everything we could ever want in life. It just, it's still not enough. I mean, some of the people, and I hope I'm not just speaking for myself, some of the people I've seen in life that have the exact things that I would love to have are still not happy. It hasn't been enough for them. And as I think even as we get older, we realize that, 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 that the promise of, of gaining this good life, it's, it's, it's a bit of a sham. It's, it's a lie. And, and often it leaves us feeling even more sad and more lonely and more hopeless than we were before. Well, if that's true, then I say I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. We need to make some changes, and that's why we're, we're going to be looking at this message series over the next four weeks calling Exhausted. And we're going to address during this series four things, four ways we are exhausted, but not just why we are exhausted. We're going to look at four ways that we can, or things we can do about being exhausted. So for instance, next week, Joe's going to talk about why we're exhausted because we give in to temptation far too easily, to which some of you have already put your head down because you've already blown your New Year's resolution. That's okay. Next weekend's for you. Joe's going to talk about this. And then the uh, third week, we're going to look at why we are striving for the approval of others. This is one that I don't really want to look at because this is probably my struggle. And then week four, we're looking at why we're exhausted because we're trying to control everything and everyone. Maybe that's you. This morning, I want to look at a topic I think probably will address most people in this room, however. And that is why we're exhausted because we're living a faster pace than, than what we were created to live. And, 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 and quite honestly, I wonder how many times you have asked someone, and maybe you even did it this morning, asked someone, how are you doing? How are you doing? And their response is, I'm good, but I'm just, I'm busy. I just got a lot going on. This is usually how I respond to people when they ask me, how are you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Just a lot going on. A lot. We're, just, we're just busy a lot. And I think we've somehow accepted this fact in our society that, that this is just a way of life. And, and when we've done that, we failed to recognize that this pace of life not only exhausts us mentally and physically, but it exhausts and is wreaking havoc on our on our hearts and on our souls. In fact, this author, John Mark, he wrote this book called The Ruthless Pursuit of Hurry. I, I would recommend it. In his book, he gives 10 symptoms for exhaustion. I, for time's sake, I'm only going to give you five today. But see if, see if one of these might relate to you and where you're at in your life today. A symptom of exhaustion. Symptom number one, he says, irritability. Already. Check. He says, to self-diagnose, don't look at how we treat colleagues or neighbors, because we're usually on our best behavior with our colleagues and neighbors. Look at how you treat those closest to you. Ask your spouse and your kids and your close friends, is this you? Am I irritable? If so, maybe a symptom of exhaustion. Number two, he says, restlessness. 
This is when you even try to slow down, you try to relax, you can't, you go to bed early thinking you'll get a good night's sleep, but you have so many worries, so many fears, so many concerns that are floating around in your head over and over, you can't even rest, you can't sleep. Maybe you have a symptom of restlessness, or how about number three, workaholism, or, or I call this just nonstop activity. This means that that you don't know when to stop. You just, you just keep going. You keep going. Your drug of choice is accomplishment. It's gaining more. You don't know how to stop and rest. Maybe you have the symptom of nonstop activity. Or, or how about number four? Out of order priorities. This means in your life you are reacting to things instead of being proactive to things. This means that that you are busier and busier, you're filling your schedule with more and more and more, and yet you still don't have time for the things that really matter in your life. For the things you really care about, for the things you're really passionate about, you don't have time because your schedule's so full with all these other things. Maybe that is your symptom. Or how about number five, the last one I'll give you today. Escapist behaviors. This is when we turn... Uh, our attention to distractions, distractions like overeating or overdrinking or pornography or, or, or social media, all of those things to distract us from our exhaustion. Maybe that is a symptom you struggle with. As I read this book, I thought it was interesting. The author makes this statement. He says, I live with an undercurrent of nonstop, oh, excuse me, uh, yes, I live with an undercurrent of nonstop anxiety that rarely goes away. He says, a tinge of sadness, but most importantly, what, or mostly, I just feel spiritually empty. It's like my soul is hollow. That's exactly what Jesus warned us of. He said, what good is it if we gain the whole world, but we lose our soul? That is exactly what this author is saying he was feeling was spiritually empty and hollow. I think there's good news, though. The good news is that we can do something about this. We don't have to live this way any longer. We don't have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. So this morning, for the rest of our time, let me just give you a a simple two-step plan for how we can defeat this exhaustion. Step number one and two, first, embrace your design, and second, discover what matters most in life. Let's look at the first one for a few minutes, embracing your design today. That means that we are acknowledging who we were made to be to begin with. And if we're going to acknowledge who we were made to be to begin with, we need to go back to the beginning and see who we were made to be. So I want to jump into Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This means we were created in the image of of God, which means we, you and I, are wholly different than any other part of creation that just simply relies on instinct to survive. You and I are made in the image of God, which means that you and I possess characteristics of God. You, this is incredible. So, for instance, some of these shared characteristics are things like you and I have the capacity to think, to process to use our minds. 
You and I have the capacity to create. We've been given the power and the responsibility to rule over creation. A responsibility we should take seriously. You and I are relational beings. We have the emotional capacity to connect with one another, to care for one another, to love one another in powerful ways. You and I were made like God. Hmm. But be careful. Because that, that's only half the story. Because just a couple of sentences later in Genesis chapter 2, it goes on to say this. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You and I were made in the image of God, yes. However, there's some big differences between us and God. You and I are finite beings, which means... We have a beginning and an end to our lives. You and I were made from from the earth itself. And so, yes, we are like God, but we are not God. I want to say that again because this is super important. We are like God, but we are not God. I repeat that because we confuse those things sometimes. And when we confuse those things, we we get into some serious trouble here. And So let me give you an example of how we get into trouble. And I use this example as just one because I think many of us can relate to this. I think we, we, we get into trouble because you and I can't say one simple word. Two letters. You know what the word is? No. We can't say no. In fact, say it with me. Ready? No. Doesn't that feel good? Or maybe you don't think it feels good because you're not used to saying it. You don't like to say it. But I tell you this, to be able to say no means that we're acknowledging that we are admitting that we are made from dust of the ground. We're admitting that we, are, that we are, have limitations That we're not invincible. To say no means we are acknowledging that we are not God. But yet, we don't say no. Why? Well, maybe it's because we think somehow we're invincible. Or we don't say no because we think we're limitless. Or, or, Or maybe we don't say no because we think we just have way more capacity than we do, so we pack our schedules full of things to the brim so we don't have time for what matters most, or we don't get enough sleep at night and we walk around exhausted like zombies the next day. And again, Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world if you lose your soul? Why is Jesus always right all the time? And I wonder, maybe we don't say no because of this. Maybe you and I somehow think that we're the savior of the world. And when problems arise, you and I, we go into this savior mode. I can fix it. I can take care of it. I can do this. I can handle it. I have the capacity to help everyone except you're hurting yourself in the process. And I promise you, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, you and I are not the savior of the world. You're a mom or a dad, but not a savior. 
your friend or coworker, but not a savior, your husband or wife, but you're not a savior. So let me put it this way. You may believe there is a God, but if you can't say no, then maybe you believe you are God. You've got it backwards. It's, it's time that we start letting God be God, and, and it's time that we start acknowledging and admitting and embracing our limitations and our, and our humanity. Embrace our design. I love, um, in his book, uh, Boundaries, uh, Henry Cloud uses a statement I've hung on to for many years. He says this, that in a healthy relationship, and if we are healthy ourselves, we will be able to say no without fear and hear no without anger. That stuck with me for so long. No can be a powerful word when used appropriately. So I wonder if we could just take a, a minute to stop a second. And would you have the courage to pray this prayer with me today before we move on to step two? And if you would like to use my words, please do. From the quietness of your own chair, maybe pray these words. Father, I beg you to help me embrace my design. Free me from my Savior-like tendencies and help me to say no. And in doing so, I admit that you're God and I am not. Just take a moment now. You know, as we embrace our design together, that frees us up to go to step two of this plan for, for eliminating exhaustion in our life. And the step two of our plan is to discover what matters most in life. And to do this, I'd love to use an example that Jesus gives us out of the book of Luke. Jesus is interacting with, with these two sisters named Mary and Martha. And this is how the story goes. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. So, Hospitality is important. It's important in our culture. It was especially important in first century culture where Mary and Martha were. And Martha knew that hospitality was, was important. She knew this to be true. So she did what was expected of her. Martha went to prepare a meal for the guests, for Jesus and the disciples. This would have been a normal expectation of them. Mary understood the expectation too. She wasn't clueless. However, Mary chose to instead go to Jesus and spend time listening to what he had to say. Well, as you can imagine, this irritates Martha. So Martha's so irritated and so frustrated, she goes to Jesus and complains to him about her sister. And she says, Lord, this isn't fair. Tell her to help me. But Jesus' response to Martha in her frustration and in her her anger is 
is so loving, but so full of truth. Listen to how Jesus responds to them. He says, my dear Martha, which just right there shows his love and care for her, because that is a term of endearment that he spoke to her. My dear Martha. He said, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken from her. You know, I've heard a lot of of interpretations of this story, some that I think are really wrong. In fact, one of the common interpretations I hear of this story is that Jesus must have been disappointed in Martha. He must have been upset with Martha for making the meal. But we know that this can't be true. This isn't accurate. Jesus couldn't have been upset with Martha for this. Jesus knew the cultural implications of hospitality and making this meal and the expectations. He knew that. He was appreciative to Martha for putting in this work and for caring for him and the disciples. We know he couldn't have been upset with her. What I think this story implies is that Jesus wasn't concerned that she was was being hospitable. Jesus was being concerned with what was going on inside Martha's heart that we couldn't see. He knew something about Martha we didn't know. He knew the bitterness inside her heart. He knew the anger and the frustration that was going on inside her heart. And when that happened, Jesus called it out and knew that she was not only hurting herself, but she's hurting everyone around her as a result. In fact, this author, he gives uh, some insight to this, and he quotes another author named Parker Palmer, and, and I love what he has to say when he writes this. He says, Parker Palmer makes a compelling case that burnout typically does not come about because we've given so much of ourselves that we have nothing left. He tells us, it merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. You've maybe heard it said, you can't give what you don't have, right? That, that's what's going on here. Martha was so busy trying to give out of a heart that she didn't have that, that she ignored the fact that her tank, her heart, her soul was completely empty. She's trying to give out of an empty tank. And I wonder if you've felt this way these past weeks. It's been Christmas. You've had people over to your house. You've cooked. You've cleaned. You've given. You've given. You've given. Do you feel like maybe I'm, I'm out? I got nothing left to give. And, and, and when we do this, believe me, believe me, it's no secret. People are willing to take. And they will take and they'll take and they'll take and they will not get tired. I promise you this. We can't keep giving what we don't have. That's why we have to put on our oxygen mask before we put on the mask of the person next to us, right? Because if we don't, who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt the people next to us and it's going to hurt us too. And God, Jesus graciously calls this out in Martha's life that she doesn't have to live this way anymore. And he's doing the same thing in our lives. Because what would our lives look like if we didn't have those five symptoms that I talked about? What would your life look like if you didn't struggle with irritability, restlessness, workaholism, out-of-order priorities, escapist behaviors? What would your life look like if those things weren't a part of it? And I'm telling you, if we want this kind of life, 
we have to discover what Mary discovered. Because remember what Jesus said in verse 42? He says there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary's discovered it. It will not be taken from her. Mary discovered the only thing in life that truly matters. She discovered that life, that that soul rest, that heart care that we long for and that we need, it only comes from daily planting ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said this can't be taken away from Mary and it won't be taken away from us either. I'm not just talking about coming to church one time a week. I I know sometimes we get this feeling of, you know, I'll come to church on Sunday so I can get full. And then that carries me over to the following Sunday. By Saturday night, I'm depleted. I got to go to church the next morning so I can get full again. That's not bad. Keep doing it. But what I am saying is one time a week isn't enough. We have to plant ourselves at the feet of Jesus every single day because life throws too much at us. We're going to become too exhausted. You handle too many things at work. You handle too many things in your family. If you are only running to Jesus one day a week, I promise you by Monday morning, 10 a.m., your coffee is going to be cold and you're already going to be exhausted. You'll have nothing left for the rest of the week. We need Jesus daily, every day. That is where you will find the rest that your heart needs. I promise you this. And so I wonder if we could just take a moment. Pray this prayer. If you would courageously pray this prayer this morning. Maybe if you want to borrow my words, go ahead. Father, I'm tired of living on empty. I try to give what I don't have. Help me to discover what matters the most, receiving life and soul rest from you. Just take a moment and pray that. Father, it's true, this, this message challenged my heart this week, Lord, because this, is, this was a struggle for me this, just this week. Lord, acknowledging that I have limitations, that I can't do it all, that you are God, that I am not, and Lord, every single day I need you. Not just one day a week, Lord, every day. Because it's only when I am connected to you every single day, Lord, that I have what I need to go on, that I have the peace I need, that I have the rest I need, that I have the strength, the courage, the joy, the hope, all the things that you provide me, Lord, I need those things daily. So, Lord, help us. Help us as a church family as we continue to go into this new year, Lord. We don't want to live being exhausted. We want to live closer to you, Lord Jesus. Help us. I pray this in your name. Amen. You know, if you don't know what this looks like, maybe you want some help. Maybe you want some resources. You're not sure where to start. I I would love to help. So 
even if you just at minimum put on a connect card, help me, or, or email me this week or something, if I can give you some resources and help to take some steps in connecting with Jesus, I am glad to do what I can to help you with that.